I hope I can make it through Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your neophyte, Frank. And today we're taking a look at Degrassi, The Next Generation, Season 4, Episodes 14 and 15, Secret. Now, before we get too far into this, quick content warnings. We are going to be talking about a whole lot of content. Um, there is going to be some discussions of sexual assault, body shaming, ableism, teen sexuality, self-harm, pregnancy, and abortion. Um, and to help us through this episode, these pairs of episodes featuring an iconic line that will go down forever in Degrassi history, we have our buddy Rien. Hi. Hey, Rien. I'm here. I'm not dying from a cold like last time I was on your great podcast. I can actually like function as a human being. It's funny because you actually came off way more functional than I think you think you did. (laughs) I was, like, in another world. I was like, I don't know where I am. I have such a bad cold. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I'm glad to have you more lucid. Yeah. I'm actually alive now. And I wasn't laughing at the fact that we have Rianne. I was laughing at the idea of the crossy lines that go down in history. And the only one that I can remember is... um, Jimmy's, don't talk to me, slut. <laughs> no, no, that's up there. And then, as we know in this episode, we have, you gave me a social disease. <laughs> Which has been burned into my memory since, like, the tender age of 14. <laughs> oh, should we have said STIs? I mean, I wasn't going to specifically say... I mean, we are going to be talking about STIs. Yeah. I, I'm not entirely certain. I wasn't sure how to, like... I wasn't sure if that kind of encompasses in, like... Yeah. The sexuality bit, but... It is what it is. This is our bit about sexuality. This is our bit about sexuality, indeed. Um, anyway... All right, Rianne and Donnie, you guys are in a cafe. All right. Begin scene. Oh, God. <laughs> um... <laughs> But before we get too far into all of this, um, Rianne, would you like to introduce our A-plot and our B-plot from the first episode and our B-plot from the second episode? Yes. All right. So just as like a preface, I don't watch Degrassi, so the only episode I've seen is the one, um, B, like the one I was on the episode before. Uh, so it was a wild ride for me to come back. <laughs> I was like, what so much place. is happening. What a place um, to come back to. I know. I was like, what the, f- what the hell is happening? Um, so yeah, the A plot, JT and Liberty are like directing their script and Emma's her name. Yeah. Emma's trying to get in on that. But cause I think I guessing from the context clues, she used to be like way more open and active and now, because of this school shooting, she's kind of spiraling out of control a little bit. Uh, and because of that, she ends up in a weird, weird relationship with with Jay. Not like a relationship, but she's trying to figure some things out, and it's not working for the best for her. And it ends in a really bad STI scare. Um, and then as far as the B-plot goes, it's Craig, who I was excited to see again. I was like, oh, I know that kid. That's right. <laughs> I know that kid. Uh, dealing with, I guess, being diagnosed with bipolar and, you know, actually trying to get him to 
get support for that and the stresses with that. Um, and in the second part, the the episode is with Jimmy, you know, being wheelchair confined now and having to deal with wanting to leave the, is it a hospital or is it just like a... It seems like a rehab center. Yeah, like a rehab. That's what I thought. I was like, is this a hospital or the rehab center? I'm not sure. But like trying to gain a little bit more independence and they try to sneak him into a concert and see how that goes. I thought that was an interesting uh, little B plot to have, especially amidst all the wildness of the A plot. I agree. All right. So our order for this episode is we're going to start with the B-plot from episode one, we're going to do B-plot from episode two, and then we are going to finally do the A-plot. So we're going to start with the Craig B-plot. I'm sorry, Rian, I now have to ask this of every neophyte. Did you know Jimmy was going to get shot? <laughs> That's the only thing I knew about the grassy. <laughs> it's a Drake, isn't it, and he gets shot and is in a wheelchair at some point. So that was surprisingly the one thing where I was like, I know that this happens. Everything else was just a wild ride. So I didn't know. I know. <laughs> and apparently everybody in the world knows this but me. <laughs> so now I'm just going to ask that of everyone who's been like, who says like, I've only seen like two episodes. This is why oh, I was, yeah. this is why I was so like, that's why I was like, do you know anything? And you were like, no. And I'm like. <laughs> Oh, well then. Okay. Because I was just like, how? How? Like, because, like, so many people know about that. Like, every, like, I, like, I don't want to say everybody, because clearly not everybody. But it's just, like, one of those things where it's just... I was so surprised yeah. that you did not know. I just think when, like, Drake kind of exploded as a musical artist, I feel like a lot of people brought up his role in Degrassi, and that's, like, how people who don't watch the show, like, knew at least that happened to his character. That's a good point. So the thing is, also, I don't, I never really listened to Drake, so I think that might be another thing. Yeah, that's very fair. So anyway, alright, um... So let's start with this B-plot. So this B-plot is actually one of the few B-plots that I really distinctly remember from being a kid. Um... Fun. Everything okay on your end? Yes. Uh, someone's sorry. Someone's like messaging me. I'm like, what is going on? Leave me alone. Twoo. Um. So let's take a look at this B plot. This B plot is an interesting one. Um, it's one that I remember from growing up. Um. Which is interesting because I feel like my retention of B plots has actually been horrible on the show. I feel like I distinctly remember, like, every single A-plot, but if you asked me to name, like, ten B-plots off the top of my head, I feel like I would actually not be that good at it. Um, but this one starts off with Ashley and Ellie, and they're sitting at the picnic tables, and Ashley is just kind of spacing out. And Ellie's trying to get her attention by waving magazines in her face. She makes a really weird comment about anorexic fashion victims, which I just don't feel like is really in character for Ellie. I feel like it's, like, falling into the trap that I actually, like, really was appreciative that Ellie does not fall into. Um, which is a bummer, but eventually it triggers Ashley to reveal that she's worried about Craig. Um, 
And Ellie has like a really interesting line um, that I'm going to take a look at the transcript for. Um, sorry, Frank, I'm grabbing your thing. Um, and she she says, um, so Ashley says that she says, Wor I'm worrying about Craig as usual. And Ellie goes, so not your job to worry. Trust another sicko here. Which I find very interesting. Because um, Ellie's narrative as a mentally ill person has been more focused on her self-harm, right? It's more more of a symptom, more like talking about her symptoms, less about a diagnosis. And we don't really have a diagnosis for what Ellie is going through. We can kind of infer what it is, but ultimately she has not gone through this arc of getting a diagnosis on the show itself. But it's interesting to see her align herself with, like, being mentally ill. And yes, putting herself down, and there's kind of this internalized ableism of calling herself a sicko. But... It is also interesting that she's just trying, trying to be like, look, Ashley, like, I am telling you from my perspective as somebody who has been also going capital T through capital I it, like, you know, that's not really your job. Like, keep, keep a, a boundary with this one, which I found yeah. very interesting. Um, and so... Ashley and her have this little exchange. Craig appears, and Craig is aggressively trying to just focus on his damn goulash. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying so fucking hard to just eat his lunch, try to be normal, quote-unquote, um, and just try to plow through everything. Ellie leaves the table, and this is where Ashley kind of springs the idea that Craig should join, join a group, which is like a teen group focused on like mental illness, at, like, a local center, and Craig is very apprehensive. He says that he'll hate it, but he does say that he will go. Um, and it's interesting. I've just started group therapy, honestly, a couple weeks ago, so watching this plot play out, I was like, oh, boy, huh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know, uh, like, group is an interesting thing because I feel like it can work very well for some people. It can be not so great for some people. It can be good for certain points in people's lives. Um, I, we're actually right around the time I ended my, about the year anniversary where I ended my time with group, but I was in a group for seven or eight years. <laughs> Um, and like, for, and a lot of the members towards the end were ones I remember from like, who had been there for like five years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were all like wonderful people, if any of them are listening to this. Um, but like, I remember being bowled over when my therapist suggested it. I was just like, yeah, go to a room of strangers and tell them, like, all the dark secrets you tell me. Because this was early in my therapy career. Um, I've been in therapy for 12 years at this point. Um, and, like, my brain, just before, like, the night before I went to group, I had a nightmare where I was, like, thrown on a table and all the group members, like, devoured me. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
but then, like, it just, everybody was really nice and whatnot, and it just, I don't know, it became, like, a good group. Um, and though, like, certain group leaders did not do well, but other group leaders were fucking amazing. So. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but it's, a, like, it's definitely a scary prospect, like, even if you don't have nightmares about it. Because it's just, like, I, like, your therapist, you believe, is going to be nice to you and be on your side. You have no guarantee of other people in there. It's true. Like, but I feel like, but the group of leaders' whole point to be, is, like, you're not in there alone. Like, your group leader is there to, like, help out and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but, Yeah. But I can definitely understand Craig's hesitation. Yeah. And As, it, especially this, like, he's, we can assume he's only been an in, individual for, like, two months, maybe a month. Right. Like, it hasn't been very long. And also, like, there is, like, that private journey of trying to, uh, which I wish these episodes really emphasized, but, like, that, that personal, like, private journey of trying to accept your diagnosis and how that impacts your life, but also how it's, like... It's putting words to some of the symptoms that always that were either always there or were beginning to to present themselves and all that type of stuff. Um, but it's it's very understandable for Craig to be so apprehensive. Me personally, with group, I kind of him and haw literally every single week. Um, when I'm there, it's pretty good. But like, it's such a like I have kind of a long trip to get there and everything, and I have to get up really early, and I just whine about it quite frankly. But um. Being in there seems to be pretty good. It's just, I get an obscene amount of homework. Yeah. So much fucking homework. Ugh. Um, I get worksheets. Like I'm in grade school. Ugh. I remember doing those. Right? Um, and in the case of this group, because we do see it when they go to, uh, they have a scene in which they have the group happening. Um... It's a lot of different stuff happening in it. It kind of seems like. Because it's literally just like... Young adults with issues seems to kind of be the uh, the theme of it. They open up with a girl talking about, um, you know, talking about her relationship with her eating disorder. Um, and some folks are kind of trying to process that. Um, the group leader has to de-escalate some of the tension that is happening in the room. Um, and when Craig is given the time to speak, he talks about how... People treat you differently when you reveal your diagnosis, which I fucking felt that that fucking hurts. And he's absolutely correct in the sense of like how people do treat you differently. And I, I do wish to reiterate this point. I wish we saw more characters processing his diagnosis than just Ashley, because I feel like with Ashley, I feel like her behavior makes sense. Her no. behavior is very consistent in terms of, like, when she finds out information like this. But I do wish we actually, like... And I don't know, ultimately, if he would tell, like, Marco and Jimmy and those folks. But it would be interesting to speculate, like, how they would react to that in comparison to Ashley. I think if he has, if he has any sense, he'd tell just Marco and Jimmy. Right. Because Spinner has all the emotional death of a dinner plate. Right. And... I, it would be also kind of interesting to think of, like, what exactly they would say and how they would treat him differently because of it. 
because it's like Marco's such an anxious person. Would he constantly be like, oh, sorry, blah, 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 blah. like, you know, do a lot of like really nervous energy for a while. And Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy's going through his own stuff right now. So I, you know, it's kind of difficult to fully speculate how his interactions with him would change, uh, especially because Craig seems to be one of the people who visits him the most. But even then, that might be interesting. Yeah. It, it's just some, a piece of it that I wish we saw a little bit more. Not to say that what they're doing in this part, this plot is bad, but it would be kind of interesting to actually see, like, the different ways that people react to him. Because it seems like his fear is tied up with how Ashley treats him and Ashley's parents' perception of him. Um, and that's kind of where this, this information seems to be drawn from. Um, and as he's talking about this, Ellie enters the room. Which, what the fuck, Ashley? Why'd you think that was a good idea? <laughs> well, this is this is also brings me up to something. Like, why didn't Craig, if Craig was to go to a group, why didn't he go to one that his therapist, like, screened for him? Right. Because that's the way it's supposed to go. Exactly. Uh, and also, I have had nightmares of this, except it's my ex-girlfriend walking in. Not, uh. not just the random nice, like... Nice girl from class. Right. I've never had that fear. Especially because the people in my group are significantly older than me. But I do understand. Like, yeah, it just kind of seems like a big issue. A potential issue. Because it's like... It's, it's also so like Ashley to do this. Like, there's something so Ashley about how, like, you're both fucked up. This seems to help one of you. Why would you both go? It's like, Ashley, did you not think about the fact that maybe one of them does not want to disclose information to the other? Or, or both. Ashley, both of them don't. Ashley, I don't think, thinks, think, no. doesn't think things through. No, she doesn't. I, You know, God love her. She does not think anything through. Uh, Rianne, I feel like Donnie and I have been uh, capitalizing the conversation. No, no, it's all good. I'm absorbing it. Um, I was just going to say, uh, as someone who doesn't watch it and has not watched it since last time I was on here it was like oh this is a Craig centric episode to see him again I was like oh here's Craig oh he's bipolar okay we're doing this let's see what happens and um I don't know I thought it was an interesting I thought it was an interesting plot because I think in a lot of ways it is kind of very realistic as to how like kids would react to something like that because like i mean adults react to bipolar in weird ways so like of course like kids would be like this is the way we handle it and we have to like bring it up all the time and mm -hmm. we have to we have to like treat these like people who are bipolar very delicately instead of just like normal human beings so i thought that was like a really realistic way of depicting someone going through that at like as a teen <laughs> and then even with like the group therapy like yeah it makes sense to be like what were you thinking why would you put them in the same like why would you send him to a group where someone else they know is there but I also can kind of get like, like you said, like, that like, seems like a very, like, teen reasoning of, like, you both have issues, and therefore you should both be together. That sounds reasonable. Right. 
exactly like, rough but i was like all right like i can see teens reacting in this way but i'm also like kind of glad that they brought it up because i feel like the resolution of that was a pretty good one i agree um the next scene we have with this plot we're in the hallway Ashley mentions her dad and Christopher and how they were on their honeymoon. Um, and Craig gets, like, really distressed, um, mostly because he's afraid of the perception that they have about him. And straight up refers to himself as Crazy Craig. And what I actually really like about these two B-plots is that while they are about different characters and about different things, there's these interesting threads of, of internalized ableism that we see in both of these plots. Where in this, we see Craig constantly reducing himself to just being crazy or, um, you know, clear, like, you know, having mental illness, being bipolar. Meanwhile, in the other B-plot, we have Jimmy, who is just reducing himself to, um, to his physical disability and what he cannot do because of it. Um, so it's this interesting unifying thing between these two B-plots that I don't know how intentional it was, but it was, it was really enjoyable because they were two different stories, but they still hit similar beats in an in interesting way. Um, and as Craig is putting himself down, Ashley has the fucking nerve, as in this is just how Ashley is, to, to say like, oh, well, mood swings are really common when you start medication. Like, I understand why you're acting this way. Um, and it just cracks me up. Not really cracks me up, but it's just like, I, I'm so it, it fascinated by the character consistency of Ashley in terms of like this is another time that she's doing this where she kind of did a Google search and she now thinks she's an expert versus someone who actually went through it. I actually love this about her and I feel like it's such a consistent thread that we've seen from even from season one. Like she is probably the most consistently written character whether intentionally or not on the show. So she's like has the nerve to just be like yeah well you know mood swings are common. Um, and Craig is just like uh okay, what the fuck, um, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I was just like, damn, okay, <laughs> right, right, um, and, you know, he kind of is like, hey, like, the group you sent me is Ellie's group, and she straight up says that, like, yeah, I did, yeah, I did send you to that, I knew it was Ellie's group, I figured you wouldn't mind, and he does, he does very much, worry yeah, not as someone would <laughs> right right because it's like it it's it's messing with your vulnerability here it is making you come off way more um uh way more i don't know it's it's you're you're potentially exposing information to people and sometimes there's comfort in exposing it to people who are not like folks you see in the hallways i mean when it comes to anything like this like this it's really the journey of the person who's going through it, not, like... It's not Ashley's... It's, like, it's not Ashley's job to, like, let people in on the secret. Right, exactly. Exactly. It, it's it's just not her, her job, and even if it might be a good idea for Ellie and Craig to make a connection... There are other ways that you can have them make a connection if you want it to be like, hey, like, Ellie is going through it, you're going through it, maybe this could be an alliance that works really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are more ways of bringing that up than kind of springing it in like a, oh, hey, by the way, I knew that you guys are going to be in the same group, bye. 
Right. Right. Um, the next scene we have is actually Ellie visiting Craig. Um, and very quickly, she's like, hey, I got this guitar. Can you, like, take a look at it? Okay, I know this is a fucking lie. It actually sent me. Um, which I thought was really funny. Um, and she just kind of just fucking opens up, like, cracks herself wide open in terms of, like, what she is what she's kind of going through, and she mentions the self-harm. What I found interesting was Craig was like, yeah, I know. And I'm very interested in how Gra how Craig knows, because the way that he says it, like, saying that he knows reads to me that he has been told or she has told him. I'm not sure if she says it. I don't think she says anything in group, at least in the scene that we see her in. But I find it very interesting that, like, he he's just like, yeah, I know. Ashley? That's what I'm saying. Like, was this Ashley talking to Craig about Ellie's mental health, which I think is exactly what it is. I, I definitely think it's Ashley. No, I think it is. I think that's the communication point. Um, which is not talked about in the episode, and I understand why, especially because Ellie right now is on a mission. That's definitely something that maybe she would think about later. Like, hey, what the fuck was that? But I, I found that reaction very, very interesting to me. Um... And she says, like, you know, yeah, I self-harm. Like, I'm a cutter, and I'm always going to be. And I found that very interesting as well, to to really set up. And, and this is where I'm just going to say a thing about self-harm, and it might be a little bit, like, double content warning, I guess. But I find it very interesting because I feel like there is something to be said about, like, self-harm and how it manifests and how you may identify it with, like, cutting and things like that, but ultimately, like, there are many different methods of self-harm, and that's kind of what I took away from what she was saying. Like, she says, like, it's always a part of me, as in, like, self-sabotage and hurting yourself and things like that are unfortunately things that present themselves very frequently if you struggle with this type of stuff, and it is unfortunately a part of you and how you react to things and how you react to stress and sorrow and whatever other types of emotions. And it's like, a, it at the time really hit me when I was a kid, when I saw the episode, because I feel like it was one of the first times that it, it did not frame, it was like one, of, it's one, still one of the few pieces of media that doesn't really frame self-harm as this like short-term cry for help, mm -hmm. but rather a constant thing, which it is something that is a part of a lot of different types of mental illnesses, um, is a criteria for a lot of different types of things, and it just will carry with a person. It doesn't just, like, disappear once they graduate high school or whatever, or once they stop, like, hurting themselves in specific ways. So I found this line, honestly, like, it, it really hit me as a kid, it still hits me as an adult. Like, of all the mishandlings that happened with mental illness this season, I think this is one of the clearest and best. Like, I don't know what it is about Ellie, but, like, I don't know who writes the Ellie plots. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they put a little more TLC into them. But they, but her lines about this stuff are usually pretty damn spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Because I also was just like, oh, like, yeah, like, that makes sense. Like, even if you stop doing it physically... There are other ways that it's going to carry with you if you have a mental illness. And I get being, I get, I like that it was like, hey, I'm going to accept at least as much as I can this part of myself. And that's unfortunately just how it is. And I, 
I liked I liked their I liked that whole conversation they had. Me too. Um, and yeah, because it's like Craig's response to it is like it sucks, and she's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I it. Valid. <laughs> right? Like, there's something really nice about the, about this whole entire plot, which is saying, like, yeah, you know what? Mental illness does fucking suck. Like, you don't need to put a bow on it. You don't need to, like, fluff it up to any more than it is. Guess what? It does suck. It's a long-term thing. You don't just wake up out of it. It's annoying and frustrating and makes you angry sometimes. And it's really nice to kind of hear these two characters working it out and say that. Um... And Craig makes the connection to being bipolar. Um, and that connection is, like, not a horrible one to make. It's not off base. It's another example of something... Of, and we talked about this before, about how, like, you don't just, like, wake up out of this or anything like that. Um, you have to regulate it. And it was just this wonderful moment of solidarity that I feel like I would like to see more in media. Um, I think... I have seen a couple pretty f good examples of it, but I feel like there is never enough of that moment of two people who are differently mentally ill actually being able to have a conversation like this and actually find a connection with each other. Um, and I really, really like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially because I feel like with the group therapy... Like, when he went to the group therapy the first time, I feel like, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it definitely felt like very, like, the energy of what every kid in that space was feeling was very different. Mm -hmm. And they all had, like, very different things going on. And so I can understand going into that already kind of nervous about it and then seeing all these different things and, like, maybe potentially being, like, I don't know if this is going to work for me. I can't necessarily relate to these other things because I don't go through them specifically. Mm -hmm. But then to be able to have two kids come together and be like, our mental illnesses are different and they manifest in different ways, but like we can talk about it and we can like not sugarcoat it and be like, yeah, we're all in this shit together. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, and then, like, Ellie tries to, like, turn it on its side. Um, she's like, you know, I think Kurt Cobain may have been bipolar. She's like, okay. <laughs> I understand what she's trying to do. <laughs> it's a very teen, I feel like a very teen thing. Um, somebody... Yeah, like, let's, let's, uh, let's connect this. Right? Do a quick Google search. Who's bipolar? Kurt Cobain might have been. Okay. <laughs> um... And she suggests that he should apologize to Ashley. Um, and Craig just kind of talks about how he's frustrated with Ashley and how she's been handling everything um, and how she's like, has a lot of difficulty differentiating like from Craig and the diagnosis. Um, and Ellie points out that like, you know, it's because she cares a whole lot. And this kind of hurt because you know that, and Rianne, you don't know this, but Ellie has just dealt with her boyfriend at the time being declared a hero during the school shooting then having basically a mental breakdown going back home to his parents who are horrible for him and he left at a very young age um and now he is back there and they broke up 
basically, because he was just like, yeah, I gotta stay here, bye. Um, so, when, she, I kind of feel like it's one of those, I, I got the feel that, feeling that she was saying this, and she was saying, like, I don't, like, you know, I lost somebody, and I ultimately was not cared about by my partner, because they made this decision, and the fact that you have a partner who cares about the fact that you are mentally ill and wants to see you do better, means a lot. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I was like, I don't know the context, but I believe it. Right. Yeah, no, it was like, she's just gone through, like, a really horrible thing. Um, yeah, it's funny, because, like I said, like, I haven't watched it, and then I go to this episode, and I'm like, so much has happened. Yeah, <laughs> this is... Everyone's dealing with a lot right now. Right. It's it's dark. It's a very rough time in the Degrassi timeline. Um, the final scene of this plot is Ashley, is that Ashley's? Ashley actually apologizes about the group thing. Um, and Craig reveals that he'll, he'll go. Like, he'll still go. It's not the end of the world. Um, and what I did find very interesting, and I actually found really good in this episode, and I kind of wish they pulled more out of this, because I think it was a really good little, like, nugget, is that he says that he doesn't want to be the crazy guy she has to save all the time. And I actually loved that, because I think that there is this piece about mental illness and codependency and how, like, sometimes you need to be taken care of, and that's not a horrible thing, but sometimes it does turn relationships into a certain type of dynamic that may not be the best and may not be the most healthy and may not be the most productive. And I really appreciated that he was like, no, I gotta, like, take accountability and I gotta work on my shit so that you don't have to feel like you have to constantly work on my shit. Yeah, um... Like... The one thing, like, I thought, like, the one, the best part about group is kind of not, it is everything that was good about the Ellie and the Craig interaction, where, like, to a normal person, when you, well, for, for a person without mental, you know, any kind of mental disorder, you have to stop and explain yourself about, like, what's going on with you, all that jazz. Meanwhile, like, if, like, having Craig in the same in the same group, like you can just be like, Oh, so this thing's going on and nobody needs an explanation. They're like somebody be like, Yeah, I've been through that. It sucks. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, there's also the feeling of like the worry of being a burden and I know that's a very real thing I've felt. Yes, yeah, same here. So big time. Um, but yeah, and then she, like, leans in and kisses him, and I actually really like this beatball. Like I said, it was one that I remembered when I was small, um, and I think it's the reason why is because, like, they're actually suggesting some pretty interesting thoughts about mental illness and mental illness narratives, and, like, it would have been nice to see some things pulled out more, but I don't think it was because it was a weak plot. I think it was just because I think... What's up? I was just saying that I didn't feel like the plot was lacking so much as there were little pieces of it that I would have loved to see more of. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, it's hard with, like, a B-plot. Exactly. To, to, like, get all the points that you want across. That's that's what's interesting is, like, so much happened in the A-plot and it was, like, very wild, so to, like, have this kind of be as a B-plot, it was kind of like, I'm, like, so also invested in what's going on over here. It's a, it's a good, it's, that's a good feeling, like, I feel like more of these episodes should play out that way. 
where yeah. you genuinely are invested in your A plot, you're genuinely invested in your B plot. Like, I feel like I understand sometimes why they may want to do a humorous B plot in contrast to a heavy A plot. I mean, we we debated this quite a few times on the podcast, like the pros and cons of both approaches. But when you have a really good A plot or like a very compelling A plot and you have a really good and or compelling B plot, ultimately it makes the whole episode actually memorable. Oh. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, are we ready to tackle the second B-plot? Yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> so our second B-plot, we have Jimmy. He's taking a photo with, with one of the nurses. Um, they are both in wheelchairs. He's super excited because he gets to go home. And as he's talking about how excited he is to go home, um, Craig and Marco are packing um, and then his dad kind of descends upon the doorway, looks at Jimmy and goes, you look good, Jim. <laughs> um. And bad. Four seasons, first time we've seen, seen Jimmy's dad. Right, we finally see Jimmy's dad. Um, and he says that the convo, the condo that they live in has not been fully converted to actually, like, be accessible for a wheelchair. Um. And he says that it should take one more week. And, of course, he's dropping this on him literally the day he's supposed to be leaving. Yeah. Like, we're not even talking, like, 24 hours prior. We are talking, like, almost, like, to the minute of when he was supposed to be discharged. He now has to stay there for another week. Um, I absolutely love that. Um, and, like, his, his, his boys... Like come out to bat for him, um, saying like, "Oh, but he comes, he gets around so well. Like, why can't you know?" And uh, Marco Strip says like he's willing to help too. Like he's like, "Dear sweet Marco." Like they just want to, like they just want to see their friend out of this center. And yeah. Jimmy is just discouraged and says, "No, guys." You know what's funny is like I thought these. Um, I thought these, like, B-plots were so much more, like, meaty. But now that I'm going through them, like, the transcripts, there's, like, A-plot, A-plot, A-plot. There's a lot of A-plot. These B-plots are just very tight, solid B-plots. I feel like the A-plot went nowhere. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the A-plot in a little bit. But, like, I found these B-plots very good. I would have even argued I think you could have made bumped one to A-plot and made the other to B-plot. Yeah. And then the unifying theme would have been this idea of, like, internalized ableism and, like, self-sabotage and stuff like that. Yeah. And that would have been actually, like, a really good episode. Um, so, dear sweet Marco, so, it's like, special delivery from Sorry Your Dada Sucks Pizzeria. Yeah. <laughs> well, they go, there's another scene where they're in the hospital and the nurse Paula tells Jimmy that, like, you know, you're more than just the chair, you can do whatever... All this type of stuff is always kind of hit or miss to me. I feel like it's it's very it's a very tricky thing to write a character who within the course of the series has become disabled because I feel like it can inch very dangerously close to like disability porn and like you should persevere like, you know, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. It's like hard to be it's hard to be in that topic in a way that isn't, like, yeah, trying to be, like, here's the poster child for being in a wheelchair now. But ex it, that's you know, exactly it. Yeah. It's really tough, and, like, 
it never helps when the character going through something like this is an athlete, right? Because it's like, yeah. now they've lost their sense of identity and, like, what are they going to do with that? And that's, like, a, definitely a compelling narrative and an interesting narrative. But it's also one of those narratives that, like, I feel like is also, like, incredibly tricky to maybe even not really possible for, like, able-bodied people to really pull off a lot of the time. Um, yeah. It's a very tricky thing, which is, like, this scene, I feel like it definitely could have been worse, but it also definitely could have been better. I also feel like something like that, because it can be compelling and because it has so much nuance to it, it's hard to get that across in, like, a B plot. You know what I mean? Exactly. No, it's true. <laughs> like, not to, to, you know, take down the dry erase board and have to erase the, uh, you know, erase the number. It's been zero days since we mentioned this. But, like, while I don't <laughs> think how they handled it in Friday Night Lights was perfect, they did seem to understand that the arc that the character had to go through would literally take seasons to fully get to the end of yeah like yeah. his arc literally took the entire time he was on the show it took like multiple seasons of him coming to terms figuring out what he wanted to do exploring different types of jobs and careers because of it like exploring if he wants to do educate like he wants to further his education when he was like ready to just get a scholarship because of sports like it took a very long time to actually see that narrative through and i think that it's it. I feel like this is where these types of plots really get into a bit of a rut because now you're trying to kind of speed up the process and in the pro and then while doing that you're putting this character as a monolith for the disabled community, and it just becomes this these types of moments which are just. I understand what they're trying to do. I understand this is supposed to be Jimmy's inspiration for the rest of the plot, but also there is a way to do it that maybe isn't quite like this. Yeah. I, I would argue that just saying, like, you know, you can do whatever probably would work a little better than the, you know, you're more than the chair. I think what bothers me about that is because it's like you use the wheelchair so you can live life. That's why you have a wheelchair. So you can go spaces to different spaces and things like that. Like, that's, it's, it's, it's not, it's, like, I feel like, like, a good dis disability narrative should not really see that as a limiter. It's a tool. It's an aid. It helps you be able to see the world. And and that if she said that instead, I think it would have been a fine scene. But yeah, I, yeah, I feel I feel you. I think that would have been a better way of tackling it because it's definitely a matter of like you shouldn't see this as like. I mean, I think I said wheelchair bound at the beginning when I was explaining it, and I shouldn't say it that way because it's not really like you are bound to this thing. It's just like this is a tool to help you out and to help you get around and like it isn't yeah it's definitely like it should have been probably explained in a slightly better way of like here's your tool to be able to go out into the world and that's how it should be viewed you know mm -hmm. exactly um so we then end up in the hospital again this is where craig and marco come in and marco is is uh giving the sorry your dad sucks pizza um yeah, yeah and they're like look and this is where I really start loving this B-plot, because the boys are just, Craig and Marco are like, look, we'll do whatever you want. And he's just like, well, I want to get out of this hospital, and I want to go see Kid Elric. 
And then, like, Marco's like, uh, are we sneaking out? Are we breaking a rule? I don't know about this, guys. I'm the Hermione of the group. I don't know, guys. Do we have to break a rule? Just a thought. I um, don't know. And then what happens again is, like, everything I want from one of the boy B-plots on this show. Um, <laughs> Marco and Jimmy are wearing, like, black hoods and whatnot. Yeah. And, like... What I love is that J- Jimmy is just like, uh, it's really sweet of you to bring these incredible disguises, <laughs> but, like, I'm still, I'm still in this wheelchair. <laughs> like, he's like, I can't hide this. <laughs> and then Marco replies with, I think, my favorite line he's ever said, I just thought it'd be cool to be ninjas. <laughs> it's so teenage boy, like, the whole thing is such, like, a teenage boy, like, plan, but in a good way. Like, this is what I want to see teenage boys on Degrassi doing. And then, like, I was just like, okay, but where's Craig? I wonder what kind of ingenious thing they have for Craig. Is he gonna run, distract, distraction, and oh boy, does he. Yep, he, like, saunters in wearing a trench coat and, like, a hat, and he's just yelling, like, random combinations of syllables, suggesting that they're the last names of doctors. I'm here for Dr. Shinkelhatten. I mean, Dr. Schipitzelhaven. <laughs> he just, like, throws combinations of syllables. The the poor receptionist is like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Dr. Schpilkeminishen? He's just yelling things. Um, and then... <laughs> He pretends to have a heart attack and yells at the receptionist, go get Dr. Schuchenhoser. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, Marco calls in as if he is one of the doctors, and Craig, like, says, like, you know, Craig is, like, this dangerous patient, which is, like, a little not right when you put it on the mentally ill character, but, like, whatever, it's for the sake of this, the, 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 the hustle. Okay, so it's a, well. This is kind of the issue with having these, these two like teaming up. It's either the, like it's either the gay character is dangerous or the one with. Yeah, that's true. A, a it, even, no matter what you did, it wasn't gonna be. A... The the thing I don't think they're trying to say like no, he's not dangerous so because either. of that. I think Marco no. is just trying to. He's just like he's gonna self destruct. Run! Like Marco is like I trying to get this stupid plan to work. Right, 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 right. Not the end of the world. Their their fu- five-minute thought-up plan. Right. Um, and she leaves. She's like, oh, God, like, running away. And then Craig quickly gestures them over, and they escape from the rehab center. And they're at, they somehow, they don't show how they got to the concert, which I'm honestly glad. Like, um... Public transportation. Yeah. I don't know what the uh, accessibility of the public transportation is, but they have it. They have it. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy says, that was so incredibly stupid. And I believe this is a saying of the army. If it's stupid and it works, it ain't stupid. I mean, <laughs> it did work. Um, they, end up at, no. they, they end up at the show. Um, girls are checking Jimmy out, and Jimmy just kind of assumes that they're looking at him because of pity reasons. Um, Jimmy bumps into a guy with a hot dog, and then, who then drops his hot dog, um, and Jimmy is not having a great feeling about this. When he finally is at the show itself, like, it's about to start, he's frustrated because he realizes he's towards the back and he can't see shit. Um, and Mark, and 
Marco and Craig kind of walk off trying to see if they could ask anybody to accommodate him. And then the set starts and Jimmy's just kind of trying to crane his neck and trying to do what he can to look at the stage. Um, he tells the hot dog guy that he's not able to see. And the guy's like, oh yeah, well why don't you just come ahead? And slowly but surely people begin moving, letting him move through the crowd and get all the way up to the front. And Kid Elric appears and looks about the way I thought Kid Elric would right? appear. <laughs> right. I never thought we'd actually see him. But I it's forgot. like black trench coat, fedora. Um Yeah. And honestly, like, I do remember um I forget what band it was. I it was definitely a metal band, because metal most metal band fans are just big old sweethearts and whatnot, but I do remember, like, seeing a picture of, like, these, like, metal fans picked up a kid in a wheelchair and just held him up the entire concert, like, and, like, crowd-surfed him around. I was like, oh, God bless those folks. God bless those <laughs> folks with their loud-ass music. Um, let's see. So much A-plot. Yeah, there's a lot of A-plot. Um, so, but yeah, he gets to the front, he's really happy about it. And then finally we end up at the hospital. They're returning from the show. Um, they're, like, laughing about how, like, I think Jimmy says he smells like Jack Daniels or something like that. Um, and, but they're just kind of really giddy about the whole entire experience. And when they get there they see that his dad is there he's pissed off because hey guess what he was a patient that was missing um and jimmy says like you know honestly i'm really proud of myself after today i successfully pulled off something that you know was something like he he kind of frames it like a game basically and like how he had to strategize he figured it out he had the right plays he won today and how proud he is of himself and how successful he feels. And his dad is like, okay, well then... He's like, okay, that sounds great. And his, he's like, I want to go home. And his dad says, like, alright, then i am get a home care person to kind of fill in the time that I'm at work. Um, and they both agree to those terms. Yeah. I liked it, too, because, like, you know, not only is Jimmy now like dealing with like okay i have to use a wheelchair i have to accept this but it is also kind of true like his dad also has to like learn like this isn't gonna change and this is the reality of the situation and in some ways like you like yeah he will need help but yeah he's gonna have to live with this and he's gonna have to learn how to navigate things for himself and i thought that was like a cool way of being like hey like uh, this is how it is now. <laughs> and it's like, I, it was cool that I was able to figure it out. So like, it'll be okay. We would just, you just need to help me when you can. And I will try to also help myself and not like, let it, you know, restrict me or whatever. Exactly. It's, it's an interesting kind of acceptance of sorts on both of their parts. Like where Jimmy has to accept like, Things are different, but that doesn't mean they're impossible. And his dad has to accept the fact that, like, you know, his his son is still a teenager and is still going to want to try and figure things out on his own and is still going to want space and going to want to, 
have to figure out things and maybe fall sometimes. And it's, it's, I've been, I was very impressed by both these B plots, honestly. I think that they have a lot to say without having, honestly, that much screen time at all. And I, you know, while there were little bits and pieces that could have been tweaked up, I think ultimately they were both very enjoyable and trying to say some really interesting things. And for yeah. me, even the awkward moments, that those sound more like kids who don't fully understand how to, like, talk about this kind of stuff. Exactly. The, the, the one thing that would have improved the second B-plot for me is if, like... Uh, Mr. Brooks thanked Marco and Craig for, like, being there for for Jimmy. Yeah. Because I, I absolutely... Like, this is, the, like... This is the kind of good, tender friendship stuff I've always wanted from the boys. It... That's what happens when you don't have Spinner involved. Um, it's also kind of interesting because ultimately, like, it is a band of marginalized kids, too. Which, you know, I don't... They're not going to say explicitly, but ultimately this is a companionship that has been formed by folks who have some sort of marginalization, whether it's mental illness, whether it's sexuality, whether it's race, whether it's ability. Like, it, it's kind of interesting to see that companionship form. And it, I don't know, like, there is, like, a real sweetness into the three of their dynamic, which I actually really enjoy, and I really like, I don't know, I just... It, it's amazing how lovely these boys can be when they do not fall into all the trappings that make some of these plots suffer so badly. Yeah. They're good kids. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Let's talk about not-so-good kids. <laughs> well, Jay. <laughs> yeah, Let's right. talk about was, Jay. Alright. That was wild. Alright, everybody, so let's go to the A-plot. Um, what an A plot it was! Ooh, baby, baby. Um, so we start off at the theater. We are doing a run through of the Dracula play because that has been reinstated. Um, Jay is like floating around backstage as Emma's waiting for her cue, and then just like kind of leans and starts massaging her. See, and now yeah. I now kind of realize this is why other dudes were more successful romantically than I was, because I wasn't willing to be this level of, like, weird. Right, right. Like, I think, like, it's just so forward, and, like, it's one of those things where you're, as an adult, you're like, Rah! but as a kid, like, I feel like I saw people do this type of shit fairly often. Like, and sometimes, I haven't seen it as much working in education, but it's one of those things where, like, I know it's happening. I no. may not always see it, but I fucking know it's happening. I know, just me coming in, no context, like, all right, cool, let's start this. And I was like, what is happening, sir? <laughs> <laughs> when, when did... Like, I'm sorry? When did Emma grow four feet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like... Also, like, he, like, tells her to relax and, like, grabs her ass. Like, right? That's what happens, right? I'm not making that up. I don't remember the ass grabbing. I remember that because I was like, um, I am uncomfortable. Right, like... Oh, no, you're right. The, yeah. The transcript says his hand touches down her arm and then her ass. Yeah, like, he just straight up does that. Um, and meanwhile, um, she misses her cue we see Alex, who is one of the, who is also on the stage. She has sunglasses on, and she's reading right off the script. 
<laughs> and it is my favorite image. And you know what? You can say a lot about JT. He never did this. No. That's the thing. JT, JT should have been always written as a theater kid. Yeah. I really think that was, like, once he's in the theater, like, my like of him, my my enjoyment of him has gone up significantly since he's become a theater kid. I feel like it was just this missing piece of the puzzle to him that, like, actually made him, because he could be obnoxious but still endearing. Like, I feel like theater kids are a lot. I say this as somebody who was a theater kid. I love theater kids. They're intense and just do a lot of this type of, like, they have a lot of shenanigans and stuff like that. But also, they're still pretty endearing. And I feel like that would have been a really good way. Because I feel like with JT, they tried to say, Oh, he's lovable! He's a bit of an asshole, but he's a lovable one. If they just made him a theater kid, I think they would have been able to hit that tone a lot more efficiently with less creepy shit. Yeah. But, whatever. This is where we're at now, and I'm glad. We finish up the scene with Amy saying, Tonight we feast at Jay. Whatever it takes, baby! Opening kicks in. Oh, can I technically reuse Vampire Girl by Jonathan Richmond for this one? I mean, technically you could. Eh, it's Ellie's song. All right. Um, <laughs> nameless, You're right. nameless teacher, um, I guess hired to replace Hazlakos now that she's the principal. Oh, well, he's the history teacher, so at least he teaches a different subject. Okay, well, still no name. <laughs> he points out that Emma's participation grade is bupkis. Um, he says the grace period is over. She's like, fucked up. I know. I literally was like, okay, like, no context. You're just getting context clues. I was like, oh, man, like, like, the shooting, like, happened. Like, she fucking saw some shit. And then for, like, a guy to be like, uh, yeah, but, like, can't you get over it now? I'm like, what, sir? <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. I don't think you get a grace period for trauma. Right. Like, man. But, like, it's just a lot to to unpack with it. If, if she had stood there for, like, one second longer, he would have said, you'd be a lot prettier if you smiled. Ugh. I mean, the only thing that I think could have made this really interesting is if it became a bigger discussion of how little, like, teachers are prepared for this type of stuff. But... That really wasn't what the reaction where we're, and quite frankly, that would have been probably better handled in a different A plot or a B plot. Um, in this one, we just have um, him just kind of be like, you gotta shape up. And as she is getting this information, she sees Alex and Jay, and they're making out. And when they see that she is staring, they obviously tease her. Alex says, one, like, he's, uh, Jay says, take a picture to last longer. And Alex says, you can sell it online for big porno bucks. Right. It's like, Alex, this wasn't some of your best material. I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> I love you, but what was that? Um, we return to the stage, and Darcy and Manny are acting out a scene. And Darcy keeps fucking up left and right in terms of her lines. And Emma reveals that she knows all of them. And suddenly it's three days until opening night. Which, by the way, timeline, like, that had to have been a tight fucking timeline. I was like, wait, what? While watching the episode, I was like, how many days have passed? <laughs> Actually, more I think about it, how yeah. many days? Really? Jesus. I was like, you're just, like, really, like, all right, we gotta go. We don't have time. 
It's almost like, I think it just, just kind of feels like one of those things where, like, they made the decision kind of early and then realized they had to stick with it and they were just going to try and accelerate it. Because, like, that's how it feels. Like, it feels like, like, oh, we have to write a school shooting. Oh, now we have a disabled character. Oh, now we have to do this. Like, they just constantly seem like they're not able to keep up with their own damn plot. Like, they're writing out of their depth. Um, and in the case of this, um, we have three days until opening. Oh, my God. Um, Darcy and Emma are kind of sniping at each other, um, and JT then jumps in and starts attacking Darcy, um, and, you know, they have the typical, like, what if I quit? And then JT being like, yeah, what if you resigned? And they pressure each other, basically, um, to get her to resign, and the girls then all go backstage, um... And as they're kind of looking at, like, you know, fiddling around with stuff, Amy's looking for her bracelets that she had apparently taken off before rehearsal. Um, and Emma is putting on a hat and quoting scenes perfectly. Um, and Manny is like, oh, you should ask. And Emma points out, no, I already tried out. And when I tried out, it didn't work. So that is reason enough for me to believe that it's not meant to be. Yeah. Um... Fair enough. And then Manny invites Emma over for Manny Petty's with Liberty, and Emma initially rejects it. She moves, like, a jacket or something like that and finds Amy's bracelets. I love that Manny and Liberty are hanging out as, like, genuine friends. Yeah. I, you know, it's not, I don't know. It's it's the little thing. Look, I'm just happy Liberty has friends right now. This is a huge upgrade. <laughs> Oh, I want to get the next scenes. We're going to do it. No. So. Can't we just more song title things? No, because you signed on to this project. And we got to do it. I didn't know I was young and foolish. 2018, Frank, what did you do? Right. <laughs> God damn it. You didn't it. know what we would anticipate. I did not ask for this. You didn't. Um, <laughs> you didn't at all. So, Jay pulls up in his car. 16 speakers! Why would you need that many speakers? I don't fucking know. Um, God, he's just blasting that early aughts music. I was like, okay. All he is, is early aughts I music. Like, I, like, really wish it was corn, personally, but, like, I'll take what they, they could give us uh, they they like looked into corn and then it was like way too much money they're like <laughs> yeah. we need a good corn knockoff guys <laughs> all right we got maize oh that's good that's funny he 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 i i like it frank <laughs> thank you no problem um, um but yeah so he's like yeah i got 16 speakers and early aughts music and he's just getting frustrated with her not getting in the car. Um, she eventually does, and Jay reveals that like he knows her address, and then they bring up Sean, um, and missing Sean, and he like in the process of bringing it up is like yeah, but like fuck him, right? Ha ha ha! And it's like, dude, I'm just so tired of emotionally stunted men. Please just say yeah. you your friend. I'm like, just 
chill for like five seconds and maybe feel an emotion. Right? Like, that's the thing. Jay's like a shark. He's just like swimming mm. constantly because if he stopped, he'd have to actually have a feeling. Um, so they pull up to her house. He invites her to the like park. Um, she's intrigued. Um, and then when she enters the house, she overhears Spike and Snake speculating about her and her mental health. Um, and it's just this very upsetting thing to kind of walk in on because they are doing this, this exchange of like, you know, what should we do? Should we be doing more with supporting her? She's like not doing well at all. She's very disconnected. She's not really doing very much. Um, Spike suggests that like also the fact that she's a teenage girl is a factor in how she's experiencing all of this. But, um, it's a really, like, you, Emma just kind of leans against the wall, listens in on it, and then introduces herself after her presence after, like, they have a couple more exchanges. Um, and when they say, like, hey, like, we made dinner and everything, she says, like, oh, yeah, no, I had pizza after rehearsal, good night. Um, we go to the darkness of her room, she is looking around, um, she waits until, um, she's just kind of laying around, she has her study materials, she gets a call from Manny, she does not pick up, and instead she sneaks out through the basement window. Delinquent. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, that whole conversation, like, I get it, being like, how do we help? Uh, this person like how do we help this kid but like it's just very weird I was just like what does her being a teenage girl have to do with anything right it's like this weird like really backwards mentality of sorts almost where it's like is it because girls are sensitive is that what you're trying to say <laughs> are you trying to say that girls uh, experience just more emotion towards trauma like what is going on i'm like she saw someone die i thought like that's pretty horrific <laughs> right like uh, everyone please let's get at the root of the problem hysteria brought on by menses ah uh, yes of course you're right you're <laughs> so uh. right duh <laughs> how could i forget <laughs> snakes just let snakes just like let me continue to uh, peruse this medical textbook from 1763. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, so ugh. Um so they're having this this whole entire worry she sneaks out. Um she ends up at like this park ravine area. She sits next to Jay um and she asks if he's surprised and if she's weird. And he says that she's no weirder than the rest. Um, Truly a wordsmith, this Jay is. Right. Right. I know. This, that whole scene, I was like, because I was like, I don't know really the context. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. I was so, like, nervous. I don't blame you. Oh, no. Get out of here. I, I mean, it's a van down by the river. <laughs> I just want I just wanted Chris Farley to show up and be like, what are you kids doing here? Right. You keep you keep doing you keep ha hanging out here and not doing your homework. You're gonna be living in my van. 
Oh my gosh. I'm just trying to live in my van. <laughs> All these kids <laughs> coming around. <laughs> it reminds me, like, the, the place I grew up, there were homeless people on the trail, like, on this bike trail, and they didn't want to be bothered, and if you didn't bother them, like, nothing bad would happen. Like, yeah, they wouldn't, like, insult you or anything, and, like, I once had to, I nearly got in a fight defending one from these kids who were throwing rocks at him, and, like, he told them to, like, grow a pair when they ran away. Wow. <laughs> okay. But, like, oh I was like, I'm definitely not gonna be on the side of the shitty white kids hugging the rocks at the homeless dude, but all he wants to do is live in his tent and, like, just relax. Um, so, uh... God, Emma sees the van. She's like, what's going on there? Jay's like, well, come and look. And <laughs> it's just a van. Right. It's just it's just a van. There's candles. <laughs> Do not forget the candles. God, how much better this episode have been if this van burned to the ground by the end of the episode? Holy shit. That would be cathartic, honestly. But, um, but yeah, so, like, it's, it's, it's a van. She's like, oh, wow, look at that. It is sure a van. It's like, yeah, 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 you're right, Emma. Huh. Um, and... Uh, it's nasty. There's a candle. He kisses her. Um, and he straight up says it's for blowjob hookups. Um, the van. And she tries to rush out. And as she's rushing out, he gives her a bracelet. Which I assume this is supposed to emulate the jelly bracelet trend that yeah. Oprah was really freaking out about during this time period. Yeah. Which, at least they didn't go full tilt sensationalized, but still not great. Because, like, I just... I feel like, it once again, it was, like, it was more, like, for middle America to get freaked out, less, like, a thing that was happening. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was. Email us at ihopepod at gmail.com if the bracelet culture was actually true in your school. I mean, this was, what, 2004? I was a high schooler then. I don't remember it being a thing. I feel like everyone joked about it, but nobody said that it was real. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's like, ha-ha. Like, black means sex. Like, penis and vagina. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> and back in my... Back in my day, we didn't have a ravine. We probably did, just nobody ever told me about it. Right, like, just... pink, pink means you touched a boob. <laughs> I went to an art school where kids are just having sex in the art room. Like, it it wasn't, it was, bracelets weren't a thing. People were just, like, weird alt art kids who are horny <laughs> Blue and yellow stripe. Even way too much freedom for high school. Right. Blue and yellow stripe mean, means you fooled around with that mannequin we keep in the corner. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like one of those things where it's like, did it ever happen? Maybe once. I don't know. Like, I just remember us talking a lot about like, haha, you're wearing blank color. Blank color means this, and like that was the extent of it. I mean, people were fucking, obviously, like they're teenagers, but like they just weren't having. You know, these really complicated, like, weird social clout bracelets? Like, what? Yeah, it feels like it was, like, kind of created by adults who were, like, the idea of it being, like, real was, like, 
fabricated to be like, oh my God, watch your kids. What are they doing? And then all the kids at school were like, oh, that's what this means. LOL. And like not actually like paying attention to it for real. Right. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, it's strange. Yeah. It's like I saw a Facebook post where somebody was saying the like the okay symbol that kids are that kids do, which for me was always just a punch in game. Like it like actually means like I got the good like okay, I got the goods, like I have weed and cocaine. I mean, maybe to some people, but yeah. like I wouldn't say it's like the okay sign has been commodified by drug dealers. Yeah. Oh boy. Um next Next scene, we end up in the classroom. Emma's looking at her bracelet as JT and Liberty fight and fret about the lead role. Emma reveals that she knows the line. Of course, she, like, embarrassingly, like, just says the line. Um, Liberty says that she is unreliable and that she's off. Um, And JT kind of just kind of advocates for her and says, like, hey, like, can you handle wearing a corset or something like that? Is it for, like, costuming already didn't include a corset? Okay, JT. Whatever, writers. Um, Emma and her processing of trauma. We'll talk probably more as we continue in this episode, but it is... I feel like the my issue with the way that this is, it's a lot of show don't... Like, it's a lot of telling, not showing. I feel like we're being told that she's unreliable. We're being told that she's doing these things. And instead of, like, exploring it and watching it play out, like, it would have been smart to have her be a secondary character more often in some of these plots so that we could see how disengaged she was. Instead, we're being told she's acting different. And we've seen brief moments of it, but I think it would have hit more if we actually saw her, like, more than just, like, looking at Manny dead in the eye once because Manny was talking to her. For me, it would have been better if somebody finally pointed out her consistent need to chase popularity in times of strife. Yes. Like, and especially now she's doing it this way, which is unhealthy and just no, like, uh. Yeah, and it's, sorry, go on. No, 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 please do. Please go on. Strange to me, like, obviously, different people deal with trauma in different ways. We all know that. But, like, this was such a weird way of showing that she's dealing with all these emotional issues. I I don't know. It was, like, such a strange... Because I was like, okay, like, she's dealing with emotional shit and like a lot of the adults in her life like don't know how to help her and like they're kind of just and in some ways kind of dismissing her i get that she like needs an outlet and a way to like quote unquote like act out in a way to be like i have trauma and this is how i'm deciding to deal with it but like this was like such an odd way of doing it yeah it just (laughs) for I don't know, when I was growing up and dealing with trauma, uh, my thing, and a lot of kids my age were just, like, you know, like, drinking and drugs and partying. And, yeah, sometimes, of course, that would end in, like, uh, sexual encounters and stuff. But, like, it, it was more that than specifically, like, I'm trying to get popular in the way to 
do that is to like show how much sex I have. It was really weird. Yeah. Especially like in a culture that demonizes sex for like for women. Exactly. That's where I get so confused about this cuz I feel like if this was like Sean doing this or like Craig doing this or like any of the boys who are directly impacted by the school shooting I would buy it more because the guys would actually probably get clout for for having sex. But like yeah. That's also the thing it's like why would why would girls want to wear bracelets situating like how much how many different types of like intimacy they have had because all they're going to do is be called a slut. Yeah, what we've seen yeah. Manny be called. Yeah, exactly. It's for like, having sex once. Right. Like it's it's yeah. it, it, it really falls it's apart. Kind of inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. And like it's like yeah, like a lot of these girls like would end up being slut-shamed and I don't know why any of them would subject themselves to that or want that. So that's why it was like such a weird way of that's why it was very confusing for me as like a person who who like you know, once again like I don't really watch a show. This is all new information for me to come into and I'm like, okay, she's dealing with shit. All right, cool, trauma, I get it. And then being like, this is how they handled it. This is what they think, like, a teenage girl would do to get over that kind of thing. Well, let's find Very out. Weird. Let's find out who wrote this episode. Right. Well, it's, like, kind of disappointing because it's, like, they have proven that they have some competency in telling male, like, mental illness narratives. They, they did well with Ellie. I don't know what it is about her that they just kind of just, whatever, like, it's also one of those things where it's like they didn't quite know, they don't quite know how to nail the fact that she's trying to seek validation. They kind of have her, like, act almost like she's like, like, they just don't quite nail how people are trying to seek validation. Instead, it just kind of comes off like she's just baby talking and acting, not really acting her age. It... And, like, are there probably some people who have experienced similar things? Absolutely. And I by no means want to suggest, like, you know, want to, like, debase that potential experience. But at the yeah, same... Personally. Yeah, but at the same... Right. But at the same time, it's like the clout associated with the sex would not come to her. It would come to Jay. It would come to whatever guy was involved, if a guy was involved. Yeah. The end. Um, so we're at the play, um, Emma glances at Jay as she kind of goes to her spot, um, she does the scene. Okay, this was written by a woman. Ooh, really? Wait, 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 Secret Part 2 was, and Secret Part 1, both written by a woman. And directed by a woman, too. What? I wonder if maybe, like, this is obviously a stretch, but maybe they were attempting to kind of subvert you, like you know like expectations of like she's going to kind of act out and deal with her trauma through the way that like dudes and teen things would typically do but like it just doesn't come off that great <laughs> I mean I uh, that what... it's, a, it's a whole can of worms <laughs> yeah yeah it's 
I feel like a project like that would be very ambitious and probably not something that you could do in like a even a two part episode, really. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. It it just would not be able to be pulled off. Um, yeah, this is just me playing like the most devil's advocate. No, like, no, no. <laughs> and I don't even think that that couldn't be what happened, right? Like I I don't see that as an impossible task. I think that it would require a lot of brain power, but not impossible. It's just this is yeah. just, has proven time and time again. It's just not the type of series that is any good at handling that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, as Emma is doing her scene with Nate, who goes so hard every single time he's acting, um, they have a kiss, and she pulls away giggling, um, and everyone laughs at her, the fact that she does that, and JT is, like, really pissed off about this because um, now he has, what, two days? Two fucking days until this play goes on? Um... <laughs> Also, like, shouldn't they be doing run-throughs at this point? Like, fuck, man. Two days out? Like, you should be doing full-on run-throughs. This is how high school works. Cry, Shelly, scare up. <laughs> it's... It's a lot. Um, so... Alex and Amy are talking. Um, as they do. Um, and they are making fun of Emma... And their big thing is saying that she should be a nun um, and that she has penisophobia to a point that her mom has to hide bananas from her. Ah, it's just like, come on, guys, you have better material than this. I know this. <laughs> I know, it was very, like, uh, like it was like, who, who approved these, like, zingers? <laughs> right? Like, come on. This reminds like this reminds me of just like so many horror movies I've watched where like it's very clearly written by like people who have never heard teen girls insult each other like the now in like now that I know better like the movie Sleepaway Camp which is highly problematic but at the time I didn't know that. Like, there's a point where, like, the other girls are teasing the one girl. Like, I bet you she hasn't even had her period yet. I was watching it with my sister. She's like, ugh, lucky. Right. <laughs> like, and it's just like, why is this, like, this isn't, like, these aren't burns. Like, right. <laughs> I know. It's like, how is this, like, hurtful to anyone? I, if anyone said that to me, if I was in high school, I'd be like, that's, stupid <laughs> well also like you know <laughs> but also like why would they go so hard against her at this point because they don't know about her her thing with jay she's just some girl um she they don't care enough to want her role like why would they go so hard on this other than just kind of go ha ha like guess she's never kissed anybody before yeah, like, makes, I feel like that's enough that makes way more sense cause like unless Jay was just like I saw Emma at the ravine and she nearly hooked up with, like it would require Jay to tell such a far reaching lie to cover his own ass but to also then make fun of Emma doesn't make any sense Let's keep plowing through this episode. Yeah, let's keep going. Um, and so 
that whole entire thing happens. Emma kind of does a power play thing where she like reaches over toward Amy and Amy sees the bracelet and it really rattles her. And then we move on to the next scene, which is at the front of the school. Um, but all, like the whole thing with the jelly bands is just like, they're also $5. Or not like somebody points out they're like a nickel. So like they're instant clout buys, essentially. Like if this was a video game mechanic, I would like exploit it so fucking fast. I'd be like, yeah, look at all my black fucking jelly bands. I'm gonna level up now. Right. <laughs> so I we bought this at the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> now everybody will think I'm cool. I'm going. I'm gonna level up into Sting. I've I've heard he's into that tantric stuff. Oh, you're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Which I assume is like a higher level. I don't know. Whatever. I'm, okay. I'm embarrassed by what I just said. I'm it's so okay. sorry. You, you have the editing power. You can delete this from, from the record. That's up to you, though. Um, there, there's, eh, this is just me being stupid. It's not me being like accidentally horribly offensive. Well, well there you go. Um, so we end up at the front of the school. Emma is going over to Jay and just bragging about her bracelet um, and how Amy was freaked out seeing it. And Jay's like, yeah, but I Amy actually earned hers. What? Okay. Okay. But Jay already, Jay already said everyone who plays gets a prize. Right. And then he says that, like, you know, there were a lot of girls, but he picked her. Uh, Men. I, I was like, how am I supposed to ever like this character. No, he's a scumbag. He is a scumbag, and this is definitely one of... This is one of the tougher episodes, too, of him. Like, the thing about him in, in some episodes, it's like, you know, he's kind of a shitbag, but he's kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it that's the case. And, and not to say that it excuses him or his behavior, but it's like, okay, fine. Like... Like, you're like, that's his character. Cool. Right. And this, he's not funny. He's just a creep. Yeah. Um, that's all there is to it. Um, but yeah, he does the whole, like, I picked you type bullshit. They end up back at the ravine. Emma approaches Jay. And she asks to be shown the van again for real. Um, and he accepts and they enter the van. And cut to next episode. No, there's one more scene of that, because this is the truly most bizarre scene in this whole entire episode, because I don't know what I'm supposed to feel at the end of it, which is that... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, we end up Spike and Snake turn on the lights as Emma enters her basement window. Emma says that she walked, and then she cries, and how she doesn't sleep, and how, like... It, she sometimes was trying to, like, she was just trying to, like, help herself fall asleep. And they're so distressed, and they decide to leave her be. And any conversations they need to have about this, they're just going to save for the morning. And she does, like, that, oh, this last shot where she, like, wipes the tear, slinks by the bed, looks at her bracelet. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's just like, we get it. <laughs> Well, the thing is, is like, is, is, is like, you know, someone trying to start becoming, like, someone becoming very impulsive in sexual relationships, not a trauma response. It, it totally is a trauma response. It definitely is. 
But the way that they have her sit like that and manipulate and, like, do all this, whether intentionally or not, she comes off, like, they, they give her this weird, like, manipulative... Like, almost like they want you to think she's a harlot or something like that. It's not even, like, a harlot. She is just, like, she's turning evil because she's having sex. Right, right. Yeah, and, like, yeah. So, like, I had sex. Right. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing. It's, like, they, they make it seem like it's, like, rotting her brain or something like that. Like, look, like, that happens sometimes. Like, you, you use intimacy to, like, as, like, a form of many different things um and you know your impulses are are compromised or you know in high gear because of your various things that you're trying to process it what could have been a conversation of almost like they almost should have framed this as a self-harm narrative honestly they should have framed it as like you are making risky decisions because you are not able to cope with what you have been going through and now you are potentially hurting yourself and we care about you. Like, that could have been the whole entire arc of, like, you know, she starts doing these things and she's not taking care of herself and not looking out for herself and then this happens. Still not perfect. I feel like when we start using STIs as, like, a form of, like, punishment for a character, we've lost as a plot. But, like, at yeah. least maybe. Yeah, it was weird because, like, uh, the hypersexuality and the impulses and all that are trauma responses. And it's definitely can be like a self harm, like, I don't give a shit, I'm just gonna do this kind of thing. But it was just, it was just very weirdly done. And especially with like the, like, now I'm gonna like kind of lie and manipulate this situation, which makes her almost seem like a villain in a way. It, it like, I know we're gonna get onto like part two and everything, but like there are a lot of moments in this where it was just like, I don't know who I'm supposed to like kind of root for in this situation because they're not putting her in a very sympathetic light, which should not be what's happening because she's clearly dealing with shit. Right, right, and like, and I just feel like there are moments where I was like, you're just making her seem like horrible because she's doing these things as opposed to like dealing with a trauma that is making her do these things. Exactly. And this is not the first time also that they've done this thing where she cries and then she like drops the crying and it's reads as an act because she's also done. She also did this earlier in the season with Sean where she kind of like cried and hugged him and then like two seconds later just kind of shut off. And I couldn't really tell what they were going for then, but having these two scenes happen where where now we see her again cry, shut it off, things like that, it's suggesting that she is, like, crying for attention or crying for manipulation purposes and things like that. And it's just, like, once again, there is a way to, to frame this in a sympathetic light, but it does not feel sympathetic by the way that they portrayed either of those incidents. It just kind of seemed like it's like, look at this talent that she has now to kind of get people to do her bidding. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's just not a good, not a good look, not a good feeling, all that type of stuff. Um... So that's the end of the episode. We end up the next episode. She's at the entrance of the school. She's watching Jay lift Alex. 
And Alex mentions that she has a doctor's note and that, um, you know, she has to head out at some point. Um, and Jade does, like, a weird power play kiss with Alex. And then Emma just grabs Nate and does a power play kiss with him. And, of course, Simpson and Manny are right there, right at the right time. And they are both absolutely stunned that this is happening. Yep. Um... We end up at the library. Jay grabs Emma and is like, hey, what the fuck was this morning? Um, and she asks about the ravine again. And, like, the delivery of a lot of her lines during this are a bit... They're confusing choices to me because I can't tell how much of it is just, like... I don't know what they were trying to go for in this. Because, once again, it comes off very manipulative as if she's kind of reading off a script... And, like, yeah. like, she sounds very childlike when she gives, like, these types of lines, which also was very unsettling to me. Like, it felt like she was like, do you want to go to the ravine? And it's like, fuck, man. Like, what am I supposed to really get from this? Like, what is the actual intention here? Because there's what I feel, and then there is, like, you know, maybe, just maybe this isn't exactly what I was supposed to feel. Maybe this is a bungling of some sort. And I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. This episode is very confusing to me in terms of trying to determine Emma's intent. And it's it's insulting to a certain extent to kind of reduce a person's potential trauma to, like, being this kind of, like, weird sexual nudge. But, like, this is the choice that these writers made. Um, so, you know, she's, you know, she says the whole entire thing about the ravine... And Snake appears and basically tells Jay to fuck off. Um, she gives, like, a really snide response. And Snake is like, hey, like, you know, we're trying to be here for you and that we're worried about you. And she just says, like, oh, yeah, the bell is going to ring. And she just leaves. Oh. Um, next scene, we end up in the rehearsal. Manny asks Emma for gossip um, because she saw the case, the kiss with Nate. And only two of the, what are they called? I've never actually read Dracula. The vampire women, are they just? There's brides, I think? Brides, I think you're um, right. I haven't read it. Yeah, I couldn't tell Dracula you if I watched it. Brides. Yeah, so like two out of three of the brides are on stage. Of course, JT's freaking out. And um, they're like, where is Alex? Alex storms out from behind the stage, fucking punches Amy. And about, because she went down on her boyfriend, it is wild. I know, it's like the drama. It was, I mean, Alex, fuck. Alex, we've known Alex to throw punches and take punches as well. Yeah, like, she fucking goes for it. And then also is like... She fucking get, throws, like, she's thro throwing the fucking punches. And then she, like, straight up tells Jay, like, maybe I'll punch you too. Um, and it's just really uncomfortable. It's, this whole plot is so much. Um, we end up at the front of the school again in the next scene. Manny calls Emma about, calls Emma out about hooking up with Jay and points out that he's using her. And Emma says that she should know about this stuff, like, trying to demean Manny. And Emma says that she, she's better at in all of this because at least she's not getting pregnant. 
which is the shittiest fucking thing you can say to somebody that you know has had a pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy, and the choice of aborting it. Honestly, though, uh, props to, like, Manny for, like, just being like, why do you, why are you trying to hurt me? Instead of, like, flying off the handle, which I would have fucking done. Right. (laughs) Well, I think it also speaks a bit to Manny and how fucking beat down she was by that whole entire thing. Like, she got the shit beaten out of her on a social level, on an emotional level, during all of this. So, I feel like it's almost natural for her to, to, like, access that feeling again, unfortunately, of just, like, I'm gonna let this wash over me, I hate everything, I feel nothing, nothing gives me joy anymore, like, it's, it, it really hurts watching her have to get attacked like this. Um, I'm sorry, just fuck you, Emma. <laughs> right, but that's the thing, it's like, also, it runs into this thing where it's like, Emma has been so cruel to Manny for so long that you can't even, like, I feel like sometimes, when, when you see a character, or even if you see a loved one, and, like, they're not usually, like, like a certain way, and then they attack in some way, it hurts, it aches, it's like, this isn't like you because I have all of this empirical evidence that this is not like you. But in this case, no, Manny, she's always like this to you. And in fact, that leads us to our new and my favorite segment, Who Gets to Say Fuck? It's Manny! Okay, well, let's, I also agree Manny, but like, Rianne? Who gets to say fuck this episode? Uh, jeez. <laughs> Honestly, definitely Manny. <laughs> I should, we should really explain the rules before we decide. <laughs> well, what rules do we need to describe? Say that the, the censorship on Degrassi adjusted just so that one character can say fuck. I think Manny deserves it. <laughs> just like... Yeah. Before she, of all the things that happened to everyone in this episode, I think she deserves it. (laughs) Yikes! Right, right. Like I feel like, I feel like other characters may think they are deserving of it, like Alex. However, I think Manny absolutely is the one that's actually deserving of it. I I think she should. Alex got to throw a punch, so like that helps. Right. I think Manny should be able to say it, like, um, after Emma says, what do you know about me, who I am, or what I'm worth, or anything, and just Manny just ends up with, fuck you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fuck you, Emma. <laughs> like, one of those ones where you put, like, a lot of emphasis on the part of fuck. <laughs> fuck you, Emma. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. Mama Onu would be ashamed. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Um, but yeah, it's just like one of those things. <laughs> Mama Onu appears in the clouds. Really? Jay? <laughs> right. <laughs> I have no problem with you embracing your sexuality, but him? Him? <laughs> God. Well, we referenced Friday Night Lights, we referenced Mama Onu. What else are we going to reference this week? We'll find out. Um, but yeah, so, 
Yeah, Emma does the whole, like, you don't know shit about me type nonsense. Which is always, was always my favorite argument in high school. Like, you don't know me. I'm like, yeah, I do. We've gone to, high, we've gone to school together since kindergarten. Right, in their case, like, they've been friends for They were best friends forever until... Yeah, spend hours and hours and hours together. And in, like, especially in, like, this particular high school where apparently news spreads like wildfire. I'm like, I'm pretty sure all of you know so much shit about each other at this point. Right. No, it's true. It's like you may not have even had class with someone and yet you know literally everything about them. Um, and I feel like this next scene really just kind of reveals onto what who Emma is at the core of her. Mm-hmm. Like, just... Like, she, back at the ravine, um, she, like, she talks to some shitty dude, she finds Jay, and he, she's like, um, and, like, she, she wants to get into his car, and he's like, yo, I'm just not in the mood for any of this. And he and Emma's like, like Emma's like trying to come on to him and it's not working, and then she demands at him like, "Are you going to cry now?" Yeah, what the fuck? And the thing is also about her, and, and this is the piece that I also kind of struggle with when it comes to Emma is, like, a lot of these behaviors... I understand, like, to a certain extent, trauma has kind of warped them to a certain extent. But also, I feel like a lot of this stuff is what Emma did before the shooting. No, this is this is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, like, this is who Emma needs to be. Or, like, this, this is who Emma is at her core. Right. Like, when she first started, she was supposed to be the, like, Greenpeace, like, you know, environmentalist... But I think that was just so she could feel like she was higher than somebody. Like yeah. She, like, she had the, like, you know, uh, higher moral standpoint than somebody. And because then, like, this reminds me so much of when she was bothering Rick. Like, or, like, mm-hmm. when she was bullying Rick, like, in the name of... Um, she's, she was bullying Rick in the name of, like... Terry, who she didn't give a shit about. Right. Like, and now she has this thing that she can use to get one up on Alex and Amy, who have mocked her, and she doesn't want to lose this. Like, like she doesn't want to lose this, you know, uh, thing that gives her power over somebody else. Like, and now, like, Jay, when Jay doesn't offer it to her, she goes, like just straight for the jugular and points out what well, like she's like oh like she goes I've, well she goes for his you know figurative manhood and like what are you gonna cry now and then yeah and then like there's a bunch of guys who'd be willing to be with me and she's just like what the fuck <laughs> which honestly i would be too <laughs> yeah it's just it's like, cause not like, Jay has shown. Emma's a fucking wolf. Like, yes. 
Jay has shown his weakness, so Emma is going to go for his throat. Yeah, it's just like... <sighs> just like... She did it to Manny. Yeah. Not one scene before. Like, she knows where Manny's weak point is, and she's going to po- point the sharp stick in there if Manny displeases her. It just kind of feels like this wasn't the right character to have this plot with. You can say that about so yeah. many of the plot in this I mean, you can, say, you can say that about so many of them. Yeah, I agree. But it just, like... This just was not the right character to have this for because it's like, whether intentionally or not, like, we were like, yeah, this is Emma. Like, this is Emma. But it's also not in that, like, it, it's not in a sympathetic way, right? Because it's like, sometimes, sometimes, Sorry. like, no, no, it's okay. It's like, sometimes people break, right? Like, sometimes the facade crumbles, the mask crumbles, and then y- you see, like, how much pain they're carrying within themselves all the time. But that doesn't feel that way with Emma because she has done this literally before her trauma. Well, yeah, well, that's what that my thing is. Is like I don't think of Emma anymore as a sympathetic character. I think of her just as a protagonist. Yeah, she's if these care if the writers knew what they were doing, I'd have them Walter White her, like turn her into like we start her off in this one place, and by the end of her high school career, she's going to be a monster. Oof. Yeah, I was just gonna say it felt awkward just watching it because you know I don't know these characters as well, but it just felt very awkward for me when it was like, okay, clearly Jay's an asshole. That's who I'm not supposed to root for. But then Emma does things like that, and I'm like, how am I supposed to see her in a more sympath? Like you want me to see her in this more sympathetic light, but then she like does these things and it just sends like really mixed signals on like what the vibe I'm supposed to get is. <laughs> I'm like, what's happening? Like, I do think it would have been different with like a different character or if maybe they had decided like, yeah, this is like what she is at her core, but like this thing really like ruined it for her. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels like, I don't know, it's so, it just sucks because I, I don't ever want to shit on somebody for their trauma and things like that, but ultimately, she makes it so fucking hard to be like, she, she has worn me down. There's, there's a, um, Lindsay Ellis in one of her essays points out this quote that, um, the the line about absolute power is incorrect. Like, absolute power doesn't corrupt absolutely, but power will always reveal. Whenever mm. Emma is in a mm-hmm. position of power, it reveals who she is. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. That, that's how I've always felt about this. Um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, I think that about really, truly sums it Sums it up with Emma, specifically. Yeah. Because it's also like, I don't, oh, God, no, I just, let's keep going. I'm just going to end up yeah. on this topic forever with her. Um, we end up at the theater. Emma approaches Jay. She has a sore throat. Um, he said, um, she says that she doesn't care about Alex and all that type of stuff. And as they're having this conversation, JT shoves, like, a weird raw egg throat-soothing drink at her. 
Um, and Jay is, like, weirdly endeared by her drinking it. Let's keep going. So we're in the classroom. The nurse has materialized to ask kids about oral sex. I know, <laughs> conveniently. Right? And she's like, we have reason to believe there's a gonorrhea outbreak. Talks about the symptoms. And JT straight up teases Emma in the middle of class. And Emma actually gives a really funny shut up, like, delivery. Which I quite liked. Um, and then the nurse also reveals that you can be asymptomatic for gonorrhea. Um, and the nurse is just like, yeah, but, like, you should use protection. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I understand what's happening, but, okay. Um, we're at the theater. Liberty has to be Alex's part because Alex of, because of Alex's, uh, STI situation. Manny asks about Jay and the STI to Emma, um, and, and also brings up the point of, like, you know, it's your responsibility to not kiss Nate. Because it's very possible that you have an STI. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, this is just, ugh, like, we're entering a very dangerous territory of, like, having an STI means you're dirty type stuff. Yeah, and just with how her trauma is manifesting in this episode of being like, well, now I'm going to be impulsive and I'm going to, like, have a sexual encounter with this guy. And then it just feels like, and, hey, now you're punished for it. And you're like, cool. <laughs> Love that. Well, that's exactly it. It's just, like, how many times do I have to watch a kid go through this, a girl, most of the time, go through this, where it's like, they use their sexuality once, and they either get pregnant, they get an STI, or something like that. It's like, yes, these are real concerns that can happen, and yes, we should be finding narratives that promote protection, all that type of stuff. But also, at the same time, like, when it's so pervasive to have every single one of your girls, I mean, like, the, how have we been doing in terms of girls having sex? Let's see. We have Paige being sexually assaulted. We have Emma getting an STI. We have Manny getting pregnant and then having to have an abortion. We have... Ashley's track record is not great. Kind of miserable, but kind of on par with, I think, a teenage experience. Yeah. Like... She, it hasn't led to much good stuff, but it's more of a, it's less of a, uh, I feel like that's just what happens when you have sex as a teenager, unfortunately. Um, but we see, like, a lot of these girls engaging in sex, some of which, like, their first time doing it, and literally right out of the gate, actually a lot of them their first time right out of the gate, it's something bad happening to them. Yeah. And it's like, are these not narratives that happen in real life? Sure, yeah, they are. But when every single one of your principal characters had traumatizing sexual experiences in some way, shape, or form, that's when maybe you need to really reevaluate why you're doing these types of plots. Yeah. Because then, then, now we're entering a zone of, like, you have had multiple female characters go through this. Why do you hate women? I mean... I know why, but... Yeah, but it's, like, the age-old narrative of, like, the... Like, it's always the woman who has to show the consequences of it, essentially. Right. Like... 
Yeah. There are just, there are better ways to bring up these kind of narratives. Be like, hey, let's really think about our choices without it constantly being a punishment for having sex ever. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, and, I don't know, it's just. Can, can we, let's just close it out. Yeah, we're, let's we're so keep close. going. I know. I'm just. Okay, so. Uh, I'm sorry? What was that? I said there's just so much to unpack. Yeah, it, there's just so much to unpack, and I. The, the, th- the, thing, yeah. the thing is, we're trying to make sense of something that was made in 2004, where, let's face some facts, we have done a lot of, gr- we've done a fair amount of growing in the last 15 years about narratives and whatnot, but it's just like, we're, tr- we're, we're trying to break down the wall of, like, sexual inequality, and it's like, that's, we're not going to do that in our, like, in the 20 minutes left on this podcast. No, you're right. You're right. It, like, we just. Like 10 minutes left before I pass out for the night. So we, right. we just had to accept this is the, this is where we are with this, with this show. It sucks. We've done better. Let's move on. You're right, right. This is when you have to just invoke the, this is a fucking old series card. Yeah, like, we don't have to do that often. We do have to do a fair amount, actually, but like. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as often as you may think. Um, so we end up at the performance, night of the performance, Emma and Nate are acting out their scene, they don't kiss, and Emma is a bit confused, um, because Nate basically throws off the whole entire blocking, um, and very strategically, she gives a speech about walking in meekness and righteousness, um, which was not lost on me, dear listeners. Um, but he... After the scene, he admits that he would rather throw a scene than be diseased. Um, which is really shitty. Yep. It's really, really shitty. Um, I feel like this is another example of the writers going into an area that they're out of their depth. I think that this is actually an incredibly complex topic. And I don't think they knew what they were doing. So let's keep going. Um, she approaches Jay. She gives her iconic delivery of, you gave me a social disease. <laughs> and he reveals that what he liked about her was that she had virtue. Another thing. Shit ton to unpack there. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, boy. Uh, like, the, the, uh... Jay's created Madonna whore complex between Alex and Emma. And also just, like, weirdly predatory. Yeah. Yeah, like... Like, why are you being, like, a predator? Like, this is so weird. Well, that's the thing. It's like, Jay, in many ways, is. Like, he... He kind of was, is, you know, responsible for some of the events relating to the school shooting. Um, or at least the timeline of the school shooting. Yeah. He, he's, he's a scumbag. Like, yeah, like, he's a scumbag. He's a scumbag. He knows that Emma has gone through what he what she has gone through, and he's just kind of let like, you know, letting he, it happen. I don't think Jay has given any of this that much thought. No. Jay just acts upon instincts. No, he absolutely does, but also it's like, it's a failure on the writers to not really make the space for for letting you know as a viewer that he is being a predator. 
No. They don't give you much. Now, is there something to be said about the fact that he's also being played? Sure. But also, he is being a predator. Like, both of these things can be true. Oh, no, definitely. Um, so, they end up, like, Jay kind of suggests, like, you know, how she has a, there's, like, the real her and things like that. Um, and as they have, after they have this altercation, Emma is watching forlorn from the side of the stage as Manny dies in a scene. Uh, yeah. Um... Final scene. We're at Emma's, um, Emma's coming home, her snake and spike are crowding around her, um, as she enters the room, um, and, man, Spike's, like, really striking out this episode, because she says something to the effect of how, like, they no longer have to walk around, around on eggshells near her, which, like, if I was told that, I would have fucking threw a fit. (laughs) Yeah, like... Not a great thing to say to anyone. Right, like, yeah, we just thought you were deeply suicidal. We didn't know what to do, so we just kind of let you write it out. Yeah. Thank God your trauma's finally over. Right! (laughs) Like, what? Dodge that bullet. But that's exactly it. It's just so bizarre. Um, And then... And then she says, like, you you know, Emma's response is, like, she doesn't like herself... And how she's imperfect, now she has to go to the clinic, and Snake's trying to be like, hey, like, you know, I know that there's the outbreak happening, but I'm assuring you, like, you don't have to worry about it. And she goes, yeah, I do. Um, and she, like, yeah, I have to go. And then she hugs Spike, and that's how the episode ends. Oh my god, thank god it's over. <laughs> what a fucking it was, weird It was wild to me because I expected, like, a follow-up of any of that. Right! happen and I was like so I just watched this person go through a traumatizing experience watch all the adults basically not be able to help her at all she goes into this this whole like very impulsive like I'm gonna try to get popular I'm gonna try to have sex and I'm gonna try to like break away from any inhibitions I had to like feel something other than sheer terror of being alive oh now i think i might have gonorrhea and that's it (laughs) right like it it really does not put you like why did i have to suffer through this is is really the thing that i keep asking myself like why did you writers make me have to sit through this whole entire experience like what was i supposed to pull from this and and the answer is, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know what I was supposed to take from it at all. And it's it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's so, it's frustrating. I don't know what else to say, it's fucking frustrating. But, um, but yeah, Frank, what's your rating on this episode? C minus. Fair enough. It gets, only gets that rating because of the two fairly good B plots, other than that, I did not care for this Yeah, it's such a shame. The B-plots are so good. Yeah. Um, character rankings, Frank? Uh, Emma and Jay um, and Amy can all reside in the bottom floor doghouse for just being crappy this episode. Alex was crappy, but didn't deserve to be cheated on, so she can, she can stay where she is. Um... 
though I will write the fanfiction where Paige, um, where Paige, like, takes Alex out on, like, on a nice dinner after, like, after, uh, like, they break up. Um, I ship Alex and Paige, ran. Um. <laughs> Alright. Um. Manny, for putting up with Emma's bullshit, gets to rise a few spots. Craig and Marco and Jimmy all get to rise, um, a bunch of spots for overcoming some things. Ashley, you're staying where you are. While I don't agree with the way you tried to help, I do appreciate you trying to help. Ellie, you get to rise a bunch of spots for being Ellie and being wonderful and showing, um, Craig, this is okay. Um, Spike and Snake, once kind of same thing with, uh, Ashley, you didn't really do anything, like, you didn't, you fucked up, but you were trying to help. Um, Emma's history teacher, you suck, like, <laughs> that's your rank, you suck. Um, I think that's it. Rianne, do you have any character rankings things? Um... I really liked everyone involved with Jimmy's plot. Um, that was very good. It, it definitely was like a nice light moment amongst all the chaos. Um, and I still really like Craig. I mean, I've only seen at this point four episodes, so he's still up there. Um, beyond that, it's like hard to tell because like, I don't know them as well. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I feel kind of bad for Emma just from like I see what they were trying to do with your writing and then they just completely failed you yeah <laughs> and I'm like you this is rough <laughs> but like who knows I sure don't I am no expert uh, but that's that's just my onion yeah fair enough um so shall we move on to recommendations everybody yes Alright, so this is where we recommend things that are tangentially related, or related absolutely, or just things we are enjoying. Guess what? I only recommend Fire Emblem Three Houses now! Woo-hoo! But in all seriousness, um, I feel like Craig and Ellie's dynamic reminds me a lot of a specific support chain between Dimitri and Marianne. I'm gonna say that. Um, in the sense of, like, two, if you want a support chain featuring two differently mentally ill people making a connection in the rubble of it pretty good um also similar in terms of like showing people go through like ugly symptoms of mental illness and like people trying to process it and not dealing with it well a lot of things that i think a lot of this episode was trying to do i think the game does with varying degrees of success so it works unfortunately i feel like this is just gonna be the recommendation of season four it's just like you want to watch teenagers be traumatized well you can play a video game um, also... <laughs> you could play Untitled Goose Game. You could play Untitled Goose Game, too. Um, also, I know we recommend Speak before, but I feel like Speak is a really good example of, like, showing the different ways that somebody processes trauma. Um, because it is about the aftermath of a character, um, being sexually assaulted, and the different ways that she deals with interpersonal relationships and school and all of the stressors relating to all of this type of stuff um, and how she, how like, you know, 
the the moving on from that point in her life is not a linear experience. Um, there's a graphic novel version that's good. There's a book that's good. I read the reread the book a couple months ago and I loved it. Like it's still really fucking good. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out because I feel like it probably is doing what you should be feeling. And what I also really like about it is like the protagonist is difficult and has issues and has like symptoms that are classically not the most sympathetic at times. Um, she's not the nicest person, but you still feel a whole lot for her and you want to see her succeed. Meanwhile, Emma, after so many seasons of so much bad behavior, is a little more difficult to cheer for. So those are my two recommendations. How about you, Rianne? Um, I'm going to recommend, actually, like I said before, uh, the book that you bought me for my birthday. Yay! Uh, called These Witches Don't Burn by Isabel Sterling. I had no clue what it was about getting in, but it is about lesbian witches in high school, which is already, like, a big plus in my book. But I like how this author navigates the relationships of teenagers, especially gay girls, because I feel like there's a lot of, like, purity amongst lesbian fiction. And it was cool and refreshing to see a book where it's about teens. And it's like, yeah, like, they have sexual relationships. They have falling outs. They have interesting dynamics and I feel like it was interwoven really well I'm not finished with it yet but I'm enjoying the plot so far there's also a trans side character who was introduced in a way that I thought really well done for making a trans character because it wasn't you know a big fucking deal that they were trans mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like okay cool like you introduce a character and they happen to be trans and like that was it and like that's cool um plot's interesting there's like a murder mystery stuff going on so i'm stressed out like oh my god what's gonna happen to these girls and is she gonna get with her ex or is she gonna get with the new girl in town we hell just don't yeah. know hell yes the plot so i would definitely recommend that if you want some good gay ya novels that are fun and entertaining and kind of refreshing in the world of ya literature that's awesome. my I, that's really good. Yay, I'm so happy you're liking it. Um, Frank, how about you? Um, I'm gonna actually recommend a um another Canadian show I've been getting into called Letter Kenny. Um, about a group of farmers living in a small town called Letterkenny and the problems they have to deal with. Um like somebody on Tumblr described it as just like um, it basically lures dude bros in with promises of plot lines about, like, beer and hockey and sports, but then it's actually just a show, like, there's also a bunch of really great representation on it, um, like, the first couple you see in the show is polyamorous, um, and, like, you know, just a wide selection of characters. Uh, and it's just super funny, like, in a very deadpan kind of way. Like, it has that kind of, like, you, like, I always, like, humor that seems to come from a specific area. And this one is just very much like, oh, this comes from small town Ontario. Just, like, 
the original MST3K, you're just like, oh, this is very clearly the Midwest. So, yeah. Um, Letter Kenny. Nice. Cool. Um, well, with that said, Rian, you've made it through. Woo! Are there ways? And now I'm popping a Z quill and passing out. Well, before you do that, are there ways that people can continue the conversation with you? Yes, you can follow me or just talk to me on Twitter. It's dogbaits, D-O-G-B-A-I-T-S. I'm there. Um, I just spam a lot of K-pop boys, so, like, good luck. But <laughs> I'm there if people want to have a conversation with me. I'm pretty chill. I can talk about whatever. It's uh, true. <laughs> and I guess that's, yeah, that's a way to reach out to me. Awesome. Um, if you want to keep in touch with the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can send us any questions, comments, concerns to ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, also, feel free to reach out to us if you're interested in potentially appearing on the show. Um, we always love to have new guests on, and we love hearing from you, so please do not hesitate to reach out, um, and we will get you in touch and get you set up and all that type of stuff. Um, if you would like to follow us on social media, we have our Facebook group. I apologize. It's a little quiet right now. Um, and we also have our Twitter account. Um, our Facebook group is I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. Our Twitter account is I Hope Pod. Um, and we are always around to um, be able to post links on the show as well as any potential information or questions or comments or anything like that. Um, also, remember that there's ways that you can help us out. We have a coffee account where you can donate any money. Any money that we make goes toward uh, tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests. Um, and we also have our review challenge. Once we hit 20 reviews, we're going to go back to the Degrassi archive. We're going to check out some Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High episodes. And once we hit 30 reviews, we're actually going to try and write one of those episodes that we've been doing for the plotline shuffles. Um, if you want to talk to me individually on Twitter, you can follow me at DM is Unbreakable. I... Sorry, everybody, I just wrote porn, and there's going to be links to it if you go on to it. But maybe it's what you're into. I'm just putting that out there right now. It's Fire Emblem Hell, baby, and we're still deep in it many, week, many weeks later. Um, but that's just how it is. Frank, how can people get in touch with you? I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. Um... It's about uh, other kinds of teen media. I host it with my sister. Uh, this week we did Party Mom, uh, another Lifetime movie. It was buck wild, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, and there's actually some like fairly serious discussion about parenting on there. Really? Cool. Yeah. Well, that being said, everybody... We hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. Later. Bye. You shared your secret with me.